You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Sydney. I am Vinolia. I help connect businesses with tech talent. And today I'm your host. Back to another episode of the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia. Um, today I am joined by Ramesh Dukapa, who is the engineering manager for data and analytics platform at Big Ten Can. Lynn Johnson, who is the head of data strategy and solutions at Colliers. Uh, Sharath Purigala, who is the head of data and analytics and Invoke, as well as Henrik Frentrup, who is the engineering lead for data platforms at Baron Joey. And our topic for today will be how to enable the data team to the rest of the organization. Um, now, before we get into our topic, um, I'm just going to ask you guys to, you know, introduce yourselves. Um, Lynn, do you want to kick start, kick us off? Yes. Thanks, Benalia. Um, so, my name is Lynn, and for the last 12 months, I've been leading the strategy and implementation of data solutions for the National Valuations Division at Colliers. Um, Coley is one of the largest um, commercial real estate companies um, in Australia as well as uh, globally. So my key focus is, um, in my role is um, around around data, maintaining central and secure data storage, uh, improving data utilisation um, and how to unlock further value from the wealth of data we possess internally. And... Implement solutions that optimize process efficiencies, uh, including data flow automation, data capture. And my, in terms of my background, uh, I've been working in commercial real estate for over 10 years, uh, but actually mostly in a non-data role as a property consultant, uh, where I've specialized uh, in healthcare markets um and GIS solutions yeah i've always been uh extremely passionate about utilizing data to generate insights uh as well as technology to drive efficiency and um, and that's that's pretty much what's landed me in my um in my current role amazing thank you for that um lynn okay um henrik would you like to go next sounds good hey my name is Hedrick Frenchup. i lead the data team at baron joey Baron Joey is a financial services firm active in fixed income, equity, derivatives markets. And of course, we also have advisory and, and research functions. We started off in 2020. It's been a super exciting time actually to build the whole thing up from scratch, especially in that space. Nice. Okay, thank you for that, um, Henrik. Um, Sharath, do you want to go next? Hi everyone, uh, lovely to meet you all. I'm Sharath Purigalla. I am the head of data at NWK. Uh, I've got uh, three broad areas under my remit, data governance and security. I've got data analytics and visualization. That includes machine learning and data science yep. and data engineering. So the data warehousing and the optimizing the data flows and pipelines. But as head of uh, data, I also work closely with the executive leadership to help frame the data strategy and harvest the best value out of uh, Invocare's data. Now, Invocare is the leading uh, funeral services provider um, in uh, the Southern Hemisphere. So we've got uh, locations in uh, Australia, Singapore, and New Zealand. Uh, apart from that, we also have a significant footprint in the uh, memorial parks and the crematoriums uh, area. So we own about 17 Memorial Park's beautiful locations um, across Australia. Um, so we are very closely allied to healthcare, but just a little bit um, uh, on our own tangent as well at the same time. Amazing. Thank, thank you for that um, introduction. Ramesh, would you like to use the introductions? Yes. So hi, everybody. So I am, I am uh, engineering manager at the Big Tin Can. So Big Tin Can. Basically, provides a change and implement platform, uh, which is a suite of uh, content management, learning management um, products. Um, I am building the data platform for LinkedIn Cap. 
so my uh, objective is to uh, integrate the data bring, uh, bring the data together from different products and enable data products uh, team to bring data products and uh, uh, generating sites and their data and our data driven capabilities for our products All right, great. Thanks for that, um, Ramesh. Um, so now that we've um, established a context into each of you guys, um, let's move on to today's topic and focus. Um, you all, you all have, you know, a question or statement that you've, you know, um, brought forward on how to enable the data team to the rest of the organization. Um, and as as usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you guys to pose your question or your statement as well as the reasons behind it. um and you'll each get an opportunity to you know give a take on each situation so let's start with yourself ramesh do you want to give us a bit more information on our main topic um you know specifically and then as well as addressing your question which is how do we ensure the right ownership on data as a product yes yeah so like i said um I joined the Victin Camp to bring the, this data platform from scratch, and uh, um, so that means the whole culture of uh, data-driven culture is very new to Victin Camp. And Victin uh, Camp just wanted to uh, they realize the need for having uh, uh, having a data platform to you know enable data-driven uh, capabilities. uh but yep. may be useful to our customers and that is uh, our joint victim uh, can and immediately i mean i realized that since it is very new to the organization uh there was this lot of confusion between um you know, who owns what right so yep. the product teams uh, the product teams look at uh, from application point of view but understanding data and being able to not derive value out of data is a completely different ball game which typically uh, application engineers or uh, product engineers who are focused on uh, building products for end users uh, there is that gap is there so there is a clear distinction between analysts uh, data scientists how they see the data and how they uh understanding the data and um, so what i was i mean okay there is somebody who is going to use the data to create products in this all this there are different teams different teams are established and there was not enough connection there and everything responsibility i mean everything fell on us to be able to answer questions and then i had to understand okay how do we establish the ownership who will own the data how that ownership uh, how can we establish that the owners of the data is actually the product teams which are actually generating the data so right now whatever data we are using is not mostly it is generated as a byproduct of the application processes the and really the application team really doesn't understand what data they are generating and so it is uh, we are actually reverse engineering stuff but slowly we need to get to a stage uh, where the product teams are actually understanding what data they should generate for creating the data products that the um, organization needs for you know to create the data and enable the features so that is where the question came right so i'm yeah. trying to establish that delivery process who should be involved in this yeah and uh, how uh, we can you know how do we you know organize ourselves and uh, organize these different roles uh we are part of data products uh, engineering uh, process so the data scientists and analysts and then the product engineers are actually generating the data from the application yeah uh, to you know uh, efficiently deliver the data products that's good ramesh i had a quick question on the ownership itself one thing i found is people have a very clear idea when it comes to car ownership what that entails but when it comes to data ownership there there's a big question mark and i was wondering how you guys went about defining what data ownership is and if people are clear on that 
or what kind of questions came up when they were faced with that responsibility of assuming data, you know, ownership of data? Good question. Well, I think, I mean, we are still in the early stage of that process. So, um, what is the challenging part? What is the challenge is that the application teams are not able to understand well how their data is going to be used. So, right now, the stage is that they are not really uh, part of the data products creation process. There is a data products uh, team which is actually conceptualizing what needs to be done, what we can do. Uh, so at this stage, the application product teams are not part of these discussions. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to establish a process which is bringing them as you know key stakeholders in the whole uh, project delivery process. So for example, a uh, very simple project that we are doing is migrating uh, reporting of one product onto a, a new fancy BI uh, platform. So that means getting the data into the lake and delivering it as a proper uh, into the data warehouse and delivering to the BI platform. So now as part of this process, uh, we are, uh, they, as a team, we are not uh, domain experts. We don't understand the domain aspects of that product, right? So what I'm well, so this is the first time I'm saying that, okay, the product team, this is your project, we are enablers. Data platform team, data team is going to be enablers of that project. We will make those things happen, implement the solution, but the application team should be part of that understanding, uh, part of this project. They are the main, uh, they are uh, the owners of the project. Basically. It is their project to deliver the reporting onto the new platform. So basically migrating from whatever they have to, to the new business platform. So this is the so then in that sense, the ownership means that they are the domain experts. They should know what data uh, uh, that they should have to be able to deliver the reporting capabilities that you want to deliver on the new uh, platform. Right? And in terms of that, so it is that means that they are asking, I mean, they are the go-to people for any questions related to the quality of the data, not the quality, sorry, uh, the domain part, the understanding of the data. So if somebody wants to understand what the data means, they are the people who are maintaining the catalog of the data, maintaining the dictionary of the data. Did that answer your question, Henrik? Yeah, I think that's, that's, I think it sounds like a good start, um, really. I think, the what I heard was the difference in teams, and mm. I think when teams have certain expectations on each other, and well, let's say it's it's important to be clear about what the teams expect from each other to make sure they share language, so that these expectations so that there's no mismatch that's created. I think that that that's sort of one of the things that that I like spring to mind when when I hear these things, um, but I think it's 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 totally true. There there should be expectations, um, you know. Certain, I mean, sometimes we call it contracts or you know APIs have certain contracts. Of course, yeah. they do need to be established. Yeah, there's there's a certain amount of overlap between the teams that that is required in order to make this work. If it's just you know completely disjoint. It's it's going to be extremely difficult, if not impossible. Suppose um, if I can uh, chip in now. Um, yeah. So building up on what Hendrik said, uh, the definition of what we want from that ownership is quite important. I think there needs to be clarity in roles and responsibilities, and therefore from that clarity emerge the touch points, your handshake areas where one team's responsibility ends and the other team's responsibility begins. But then my observation over 25 years of working with data has been that the overlap between these responsibilities can be significant. For example, if you're talking about data security, data privacy, whose responsibility is it? Now, one team will not know everything about everything. So having, say, the customer team or the marketing team in charge of customer data is great, where they can bring the domain expertise is in terms of the metrics. What does the data mean? What are the KPIs that we need to define? 
how do we measure the customer experience and essentially what is the customer gaining from the organization and the other way around what is the cost of keeping those customers happy at that level and so on so the business process and the associated metrics and kpis that result from that customer business processes that's something absolutely the customer or marketing team can own but in terms of the responsibility of the data itself what does that mean what are their responsibilities how clearly are they understanding their own ownership of that data but most importantly how are they being supported through discharging that responsibility i think that's the 360 degree view that uh, needs to be considered when establishing these ownership um, rules and uh, defining these ownership uh, opportunities uh lynn yeah yeah i am um... I completely agree with with you there, and I think one um, uh, one recent experience that I've had um, around this is uh, we just finished um, the development of a of a inspection app, which is effectively um, a tool that allows uh, plumber operators to go out on site, and instead of using pen and paper, you um, you input all your information into the app, and it uploads. Um, straight into our uh, our system uh, and just make make that whole process a lot more efficient. But in doing that, um, so the way we set that up, we work with an uh, external, external development team. Uh, my role was the product owner. So effectively what I did was um, communicating with the development team, making sure they have everything that they need from our end um, and me making sure that what they're delivering is aligned with the needs of our um, our operators and then pulling IT into the fold as well because they have um, uh, the responsibility of the infrastructure um, for which the, the data sits and um, is uploaded. And I think it's, it's not easy. <laughs> um, uh, sometimes working with uh, a lot of um, uh, different stakeholders, but I, I think it's, it ultimately comes down to um, the communication uh, between the teams and making sure that um, everyone understands their contribution um, and and having having that central point that can, which at the time was me, and that can kind of um, navigate through the different issues. Okay, great. Thanks for that, um, Henrik. You've got a, you have a question? Yeah, I thought the communication aspect that was really a good shout because most teams most organizations are actually quite collaborative once they understand each other but in order to get to that understanding of course communication has to happen and Mm. a data team is often an enabler um, and the infrastructure is often just supposed to enable something that has existed before and and or where processes have existed before but they are of course supposed to go through a transformation where suddenly digital and uh, yeah, mostly digital technologies play a role, but really what to expect from that and how the process changed, how, how much different is it, how much is it the same, that communication has to happen. If it doesn't happen, I think that's that's when the mismatches happen, when the misunderstandings happen. But once you have that communication going and a little bit of a give and take, I think there's always, you know, people set, those, set themselves stretch goals. Most teams are delighted when they know it's a stretch goal it can't be reached 100 if it if, if we get there 80 percent, it's already you know 60 percent more than they'd ever expected it's it's these kind of that kind of communication is really vital isn't it yeah okay um Sharath, do you have something to add you don't read the sorry yeah and this was one of the reasons why i picked the questions i did but uh, i'll talk about that later Essentially, some success can be gained from tapping into the existing data governance models. So IBM has their own, Gartner has a pretty popular one. Um, So every vendor uh, or every consulting agency has a different take on what that looks like. Uh, There are some some world standards, Dharma uh, uh, has its own model. So it doesn't matter what you pick, start somewhere. But most importantly, the first step would be to clearly define that roles and responsibilities. So who's responsible for what? And communicating that clearly 
and reinforcing that communication every so often because it often gets forgotten. Yeah. You don't want to have your data governance as a paper that nobody reads after it's been approved. It has to be a living, breathing document that gets referred to through every project delivery process, I guess. So embedding that governance framework then firmly into your project delivery process can give you some success. It will obviously delay some of the project delivery because people want an outcome very quickly. But then you're asking, hey, okay, what about the uh, security of this data? Who's going to manage the privacy concerns? Should we be compliant to GDPR or what are our industry-specific uh, legislation that we need to comply to? If I have to access this data, who has to give me permission? Where can I store this data? How can I share this data? Who can download it? All these questions start bubbling up, which can cause a little bit of discomfort because they actually put some breaks where people have to stop that momentum and think through rather than just charge ahead with delivery and seeing those beautiful data products on the other end. But it's important to do that. And then through that process again, when you're finishing your project delivery, as you're handing that project into a service, it's important to understand who will maintain that, what is the audit process? How are we circling back to see if that social contract is being honored across um, all stakeholders involved? Okay, great. Um, Ramesh? Yeah, so the other thing that I wanted to establish with this and ownership, like all of these aspects of the data uh, the quality security standard maintenance and uh, availability of the data also uh, has to be uh, defined by people who really understand wow why the data is being generated or how the data is being used and that team I think is the, the uh, actual the product team that uh, uh, who understands this very well. Right now, what I see is there is a big disconnect between product teams and the data products teams, the application teams that are actually developing applications, the data products team. Uh, somehow, they think that it is something uh, other than... So, for example, we uh, our team is looked upon as some external team working on and you know, getting some data together and doing something else. Whereas, when I talk to the application teams, they really don't understand what is happening with the data, how the data is being used for, uh, you know, building uh, uh, reporting and visualization dashboards on that and why they are being built. If the application team understands how this, uh, these uh, data-driven features are enabling their application, then they can design that application even better. They can build uh, features in the application and in the application process itself, they can build in features which are collecting the relevant data or they can understand more about what data they, they can capture that will enable data products. So I think that if you bring them together, right, we, uh, we can get generate even more meaningful data and useful data. Right now, if, if somebody is looking at what is available, what can we do with this data and then it is kind of and in the hindsight, then when they go back and say, okay, this is missing, can you just fill it, fill the blanks, right? Or they come to the data engineers to fill the blanks. The source team, really, the, these problems are not fixed at the source level. Okay. Um, so now, thank you for, for all the contributions, guys. Um, so now this leads us nicely into your question, um, Sharith, which is... Um, what type of skills to look for when recruiting for your team? Do you want to give us a bit of context into that? Yes, uh, look, I've been in uh, Ramesh's uh, situation for quite some time. And through that experience, of course, uh, we worked together uh, during all of my um, tenures at various roles and various organizations. We worked through to overcome some of that. There were lessons learned and all that. But from that point, uh, my feeling or my experience has been that the data team cannot be super specialized and hyper-focused on one or two areas, right? So it's not a very technically focused team anymore. Data is the lifeblood of every organization these days, right? That's yeah. what flows through our systems. That's what flows through our business processes. And that's why I call my team the DNA team, data and analytics. So that's the DNA of the organization. Um, <laughs> thank you. 
but but it's true. I mean, everybody talks about data. Everybody wants data. Everybody wants to do cool things with data. So it's important for the data team to have members who can cover multiple gaps. And from that, I started thinking hard about what I want my team to be. What are the functions that should be available within my team? Now, we may not have the hard remit and role to play. So, for example, we may not be in charge of data governance or cybersecurity. Mm. But knowing enough about that area to have that collaborative conversation. So I think from a soft skills perspective, the first skill I would be looking for, and this doesn't have to be every member of the data team, but when you're building up your whole data team to enable it to the rest of the organization, I think we need to have those uh, contact points who can act as our ambassador uh, to some of the other areas. So who can represent us when talking to our customers, customer yeah. teams? We don't need to be experts in customer journey and customer metrics, but that person needs to know enough to have a meaningful conversation such that the customer team business owners can feel a sense of relationship. They can relate to this person and think of this person as, you know, somebody within our own camp. Similarly, who is somebody who can who you can hire with some sort of a finance background, somebody who understands the finance data processes, the financial metrics what a CFO would be looking for. Overall, if the team can have a sound understanding of what is possible, so what's coming up on the horizon, all the new trends, all the shiny new toys, because people will hear about them sooner or later, and then they'll want a piece of that. But if the team knows enough about that also, then the ability to streamline that conversation into a realistic delivery process at the appropriate time, I think that would definitely be uh, quite useful for the data team. I have enabled the data team through a couple of um, uh, tools, such as an analytics forum, you know, hosting somebody who can be a very good communicator, convey what's new and upcoming uh, to the rest of the organization. Your business analysis and process mapping is a very important skill to have. So not just the technical skills and the ability to visualize and the ability to do outstanding machine learning models, but having those that business awareness, strong business uh, domain knowledge enough to have a meaningful conversation and to relate to the appropriate teams would be a major skill. And of course, through all of this, the privacy concerns and all that, all of that has been a hot topic these days since we've heard about the uh, Optus and the uh, Medibank uh, uh, situations on the news and all that. So the teams being aware of that through any consumption of data, any project that's being discussed, any data product that's being conceived, somebody from the team can then represent the higher calling, you know, the securing of the data, which is so important. All right, great. Thank you for that. Um, Henrik, your thoughts? Yeah. I'm not surprised that communication skills came up as, uh, you know, that you alluded to as a, as a pretty crucial skill. It's quite remarkable, the new generation, I would say, that comes, you know, that comes out of uni, the, the folks that had their last uni days during COVID. It's, mm. um, you know, God bless them. The, that must have been tough. <laughs> But I think what's really striking is that they have grown up with data. They knew that data is going to be important. They, you know, they've grown up with Kaggle being around and um, iPython notebooks and all these snazzy tools that a lot of people that are in their jobs right now, the experts basically, they haven't been around. This is completely new to them. But then the, the, this new generation thinks this is this is standard. I think that's really. That's really exciting that a lot of people come with these skills already equipped. They, you know, they've worked on passion projects where they they use some of that. They've hosted their own little SQLite databases to capture some data and, and all this, or you know, set up Raspberry Pis at home to, um, you know, for home uh, automation or whatever. And so I think that's 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 really exciting. I think one of the things that's like a super crucial skill, which used to be a big, I think it used to be. a in itself that I would say is super important, won't lose in terms of its relevance, but goes overlooked is data modeling. I have a feeling that that is in every project, there needs to be an aspect to that, but it often is forgotten. It's sort of like you, it's it's almost sometimes like an obstacle to to, to where you want to get. But once you know where you want to get, 
actually putting that in place and and spending at least a little bit of time getting a couple of you know sort of applying a few basics on the data modeling side and making sure that the things that have already been solved that can be that can really deliver success in that in that it, during a project um it can it can really increase the likelihood for success and make life in terms of especially production support and you know having that that uh whatever is being delivered live on um it's 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 crucial and i think that so you know if i could throw that in there a skill to be reckoned with data modeling oh great thanks for that um lynn thank you um yeah i i agree with um with both of you i think uh going back to what you said Shrath, um uh, around the the ambassador I, I i would say that's probably my number one as well um and i think having that um understanding of, of the dark to dream is really crucial but it's also i think equally important that you have an ability to to translate um uh the requirement um from the end user through to the the data team or the the um the technical expert and and vice versa being able to translate to the the non-data um personnel what is possible uh and i, I can think that's where i see a really big disconnect um uh, in, i mean across most industries is that um there's there seems to not be a big enough focus on um an understanding and appreciation of of the roles of and and how work together communicate better and and actually um deliver much better outcomes uh with data absolutely yeah sure you can yeah, I think uh, yeah, both Henrik and uh, Lynn raised very relevant points because uh, spear, uh, picking up on Henrik's point, the data model itself can become a very powerful conversational tool to have with the business. You can use your conceptual model to talk about the entire business process and overlay your data stores, your security, your metrics, everything on top of that. So that can become the foundational piece of your conversation. Uh, especially in a whiteboard session, uh, just grab a couple of markers, draw some boxes and arrows on the uh, on the whiteboard with people present. I think the conversational ideas and the synergy can just start flowing from that. And then further to Lynn's point, uh, my observation has been this will always be a marathon and it's a process. I don't think we'll ever get a ready-made person who knows all of this because even if they were experts in one domain, their ability to understand our business and our organization and relate to its people. That's a completely different uh, ball game altogether. So I think as leaders, it's probably one of the things that we should always carry about and saying, am I being a good ambassador to the team, to the rest of the business? Am I being able to talk effectively in terms of business domains and business outcomes and business metrics to the appropriate levels? And what's my succession plan looking like? If I'm not there, who else can do that? So, like I said, it doesn't have to be one person. You can groom specialists, people in the lead, lead leadership roles, and encourage them as leaders or people managers themselves to try and inculcate that sense of 360-degree communication with a whole range of stakeholders across their teams. So, the deeper this goes within your team, and I know it's the harder, the deeper it goes, the harder it gets, because people are still raw, you know, you get more of your junior people being your developers and engineers and uh, so on. So getting them to think in terms of business outcomes is a little bit hard, but that's why I said it's a process and it's a marathon. If you inculcate that culture within your team, I think we we'll, none of us stay in organizations and roles forever. We all get promoted within the same organization or find other roles somewhere else or start something on or whatever that is. Or we if you can go on holiday. Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then that's where you know if you have a if you have a whole uh, team that you can delegate to, you can just uh, stay on your job and enjoy your holiday, knowing everything is taken care of. But if you can leave behind a culture of that constant learning and that able communication, I think that's a great job. That's a job well done. Amazing. Um, Ramesh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, 
Lynn brought up that very important point. Of course, I agree with Andrik and Shabat as well on uh, the uh, modeling and how modeling can be useful because modeling is the way to you know communicate. Uh, you know, you can communicate visually also there and uh, make the data will make much more sense. Um, on the understanding of functional requirements, understanding the requirements, and you know. That it is very and that that is a problem across the industry, right? Be it on the data side or be it on the application development side, we end up uh, delivering features which are not really useful, uh, or end up uh, all situations where you know uh, feature may not be you know fit for purpose. Uh, in whatever sense that, and it all boils down to understanding the why part of the why the user is asking for this, correct? and that is one skill I think at very different levels of experience we should try and understand if the engineer uh, is able to break down the you know, difference between problem statement and solution, right? And that is the way I kind of try to understand if they are able to look at the requirement as requirement and then don't jump into solution before they understand the requirement. So that is critical I and mean, that will be very useful in the team and like Sharad said it's a marathon we have to develop that and bring that thinking process and thought process as leaders between the team so whenever somebody comes the engineer comes to me and saying this is what I'm going to do I will try to make sure that we understand why the user has asked for this and then based on that I have a solution that is going to be a big part All right, great. So thank you guys for your um, input. Now, this brings us to our next question, which was brought forward by yourself, Lynn. And the question is how to demonstrate the value of data in different levels of data adoption. Um, do you want to give us a bit of context into that? Yes, sure. Um, and I, I think it's, um, it's interesting because uh, um, a lot of what I want to talk about was around the communication piece and uh, it seems to be uh, something that that we're all very cognizant of um but um yeah uh well i think you, you can approach um both the the main topic and, and my short topic from, uh, from a few angles but when i think of enabling the data team to me it's about driving innovation um to achieve common business goals and i think it it's really important to go back to the why um when we talk about data, why are companies investing in it? What are their key objectives? Um, and how do we achieve the alignment across the company um, to ensure expected returns uh, on that investment? Um, I've seen really big leaps towards data transformation um, within my industry, uh, and we're in the process of implementing a number of um, great initiatives um, across uh, the business. Uh, and I think having that leadership support um, creates many really exciting opportunities for me in my role. Uh, but I'm also really cognizant of um, the challenges uh, in um, ensuring these investments are achieving their uh, intended results. Um, I think while any change uh, needs to be um, needs to be led by the top to make sure it's sustainable. I think it's also important to um, uh, understand the the value um, and need for stakeholder buy-in across the board. Uh, and it's not easy. Um, we have when it comes to data and and many other things. Um, there's always going to be stakeholders within an organisation that persist different attitudes um, towards um, new concepts. Uh, so it's really about how do you how do you manage that transition towards a data-centric organisation against, um, against that backdrop uh, and what are the implications for the data team? Um, and um, and I mean, I'd love to, love to get thoughts from, from the rest of the group on this, um, but for me, um, one of the um, the challenges uh, that that I'm facing, um, and I'm sure it's not unique um, to to my um, to me my organisation is 
Uh, I work in a large, very decentralized company um, and data and data technology means different things to different people. And it largely influenced by their roles um, and the business departments that they're in. Uh, so you have some departments um, much more reliant on data and processes. And this drives um, acceptance towards data and data technology. But on the flip side, um, their requirements are likely to be much more complex um, and sophisticated. And then on the other hand, you have um, departments that are very data light. Uh, might require a more simple solution, but it can also be a lot harder to convince them of the data value proposition. Uh, so I um, I think as a data team, uh, it's it's just crucial to to think about how they can go about demonstrating that value and recognizing the nuances between departments and stakeholders when when they um, communicate it. Uh, so it's really, it's about establishing those communication channels in the first place and then making sure that um, you, tailor, you tailor that um, based on the audience and their needs, um, consider, uh, you know, what are their pain points, understanding the, the problem before you come up with a solution, um, understand the motivating factors um, and using, in, but in my case, what's, um, what's been really helpful, uh, using, using visual concepts to um, demonstrate what's possible and what you can do for someone as opposed to talking about it. Because I find that when you talk about it, if they can't, imagine it they're not going to um you're not going to get that that level of engagement um so yeah so that's love to love to um hear what everyone else thinks yeah, thanks thanks for that um lynn Sherrod. i think that's a very answer? very deep uh and almost philosophical question that many organizations do grapple with uh, constantly we want to make investments on data platforms and uh, data technologies, but what for? What's the return on an investment? And a lot of times, these technologies and platforms are so foundational for us to be able to do our jobs that tying them to hard returns on investment is so hard. For example, if you were enabling this beautiful innovation around marketing, it's not the data that's driving the return on investment. It's what the marketing team does with those insights, the decisions that they make, and the changes in their strategies that drives the return on investment. So it becomes quite hard. Um, but I suppose uh, in a way to communicate that value of the data, then we can talk in terms of quality, in terms of qualitative terms on what's possible, what are the different things we could do? Like, are we, what are the questions we can answer? Are we investing the right amounts of money in the right marketing channels and to what end? If I'm spending $17 million or something, on one particular uh, channel, uh, if I'm advertising too much on Facebook, how do I know that that's actually leading to what I wanted to do? So that's one part of it. The other part that I took away from uh, your question, Lynn, was uh, the levels of maturity can vary between various departments within the same organization, especially in large and complex organizations. And again, my question there would be, is that really a problem? Do they so if somebody is, uh, one department is data light and therefore their uptake is slow, uh, I, I, the way I see it, it's okay. You know, if all they can consume at that point is transactional reports and nothing fancy, that's their starting point. So that's what we'll give them. And that's where you drive value. But the moment you start enabling some data, I think all of us can agree here, that'll start opening the floodgates for demand. It'll lead to more demand. They want to do things easier than they want to do things more innovative. Uh, and so I think that's that's where enabling that longer-term culture um, is definitely a success. You know, it's, it's definitely a win in my book. I think if I, if I can just um, add, um, add to that, um, sorry, sorry, Hendrik, uh, uh, you, you're right in that um, it, it might not necessarily be a problem that 
where I'm where I'm coming from um, with that is if we if we were to completely ignore um, uh, the requirements of, of that particular group and make something that's overly complex, uh, you're on the risk of them not using it. And I, I think that's sort of um, that's where my uh, concerns sort of come from. Is we spend we spend all this time and, and money on developing um, solutions, uh, and we we just want to make sure that um, we get the we get the utilization out of it because without the utilization that um, you, you're not going to generate any value. Yeah, yeah. utilization. It comes down to how how you measure value. Right. If it's if value is only measured by how much revenue does it bring in, then I think a lot of business function would go. But we and you know only the sales department would stay. But if they have nothing to sell, then there's no revenue either. So I think a lot of organizations understand that value is. I think if you ask people, was this valuable? You probably get a better answer than trying to measure it in the revenue figures. And value is very often, as you say, value is very often demonstrated in is it used? Is it used regularly? Right, mm. the modern data platforms luckily all produce uh, lots of metrics and and, and logs, etc., that you can use to say, actually, look, this dashboard is being used by plenty of people, and and that that I guess that is a is a way to demonstrate value. Um, probably mm. a little bit further down the track when you already have a large user base in the organization, but I would even say a lot of business processes, right? I mean, where data is involved can be really cumbersome if they're if they're sort of done in a in a you know in a in a very manual way as we would say it so that repeatability that it can bring that can that can demonstrate value quickly because people are freed up to do other things more valuable things i don't know uh, you know other things let's say then the timeliness of course and eventually i think the, the trickiest one is data quality because obviously that is never it's never perfect and I guess it just has to be good enough, really. But all these aspects really demonstrate value. And most functions would probably attest to that, even if it's just via their usage of a of an analysis or of a dashboard, of a of a report, etc. Okay, uh, Ramesh, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, what Lynn brought up is a very philosophical uh, question, like Sharad said. Um, it boils down to having a strategy and that data strategy is very difficult to define and very difficult to implement. We you know that is a fundamental uh, requirement if you want to uh, solve the problem of you know, value of the data, right? If we have a strategy in place, if we have defined objectives on what we want to achieve, uh, that is what is going to automatically define the value of the data. That is when we focus on what data we have or we don't have and we will generate the data and we will invest whatever we need to do to create the data or generate the data and manage the data and use the data to create data products. So that is the key thing that I think we should have in place. And again, boils down to the ownership of once the strategy and objectives are in place, then the right people will have uh, the you know clarity on what they have to do and where they have to go, and then they can you know take the necessary steps to move in that direction. Okay, um, Sharath, you just wanted to share a quick story because we were talking about value and success. Because when I was working at uh, the Western Sydney University, one of the things we tried to do was define what success was, student success. And uh, each student has a completely different definition. Somebody wanting to be top of their cohort all the way to, I just want to pass and find a job to nobody in my family for three generations has been to college. So all I need to do is pass one unit. So that that, that definition varies. I think for each of those uh, particular students, uh, Achieving that particular step was all that was needed, and that will then show them the next step. So there could be demand for AI applications that use your data and, you know, uh, chatbots that uh, leverage your data and translate them into NLP. And there could be other departments. All they want is 
something as simple as automating a report that they spend four hours a day putting together with spray, you know, Excel extracts. So that's a different level of success. And this is a different le level of success altogether. But mm -hmm. once you give them that report that can be accessed with the click of a button, then they will, they will define their next step. And I think that's what will keep the synergy going. Yeah, very okay. cool. True. Okay. I agree. Thank you guys so much for um, your inputs. Now, um, our last questions, and by no means least, um, which was brought forward by yourself, Henrik. Um, and the question is, how do we build trust between data teams and other teams in data sets and in tooling, as well as infrastructure and platform? Um, do you want to give us a bit of um, insights into that question? Yeah, the question started off really with how do you build trust between the teams? But with trust between the teams comes in also the trust in the tooling, in the platform, in the infrastructure, which all kind of plays into whether the teams and the the organization trust their approach that, that, have, that they've taken. And so I have, I would say, let me just add to that. Let me just answer that question from my perspective. I think there are three aspects to it that can be tried. Probably it's not an exhaustive list. It can be more. But I would say the first one um, to break up silos, I think that's due to make data more accessible. Um, I, I watched Oppenheimer on the weekend, the the film, and it was really funny that, you know, the, the military and the scientists, this whole um, conflict and compartmentalization, essentially silos, right? The, the way... The only way they achieved what they were trying to achieve was to break those silos down, to have communication flow, to trust each other as well in, you know, keeping that information targeted. But I think it's it's vital. And I think a lot of organizations need to do that. They need to let go a little bit, relinquish control to some extent, um, which then, that's my second point here. Most data isn't sensitive, so that actually helps breaking down the silos. Sure, there's certain pieces of data that are very sensitive in an organization, so those should be treated in a special manner, but don't treat all data the same. Yeah, Data is not the same. There's vast differences in the confidentiality of a data set, for example. And in order, when you make that accessible to people, data that is widely accessible in the world, and you just make it easy to access in your organization, you give them, you give them tools, you give them in a way uh, more effectiveness, more power. And I think that's the third one. Once you, you know, when you relinquish some of that control, when you let go a little bit, when you, um, when you, I think, I guess it's also a, a, um, a signal of, of trusting each other. The power struggles that can happen when people have access to data that other people don't have access to, they essentially go away which I think can be really helpful. Um, if you look at how much we've achieved in the in the machine learning and, and artificial intelligence domain, researchers really pushed, it was very well known that Amazon and, and Google, for example, were pushed by the people they wanted to hire to allow them to publish their research. And I don't think we would be where we are today in terms of artificial intelligence if they hadn't continue to publish openly and sure that meant giving up a little bit of control and you know certain intellectual property to go out there but on on a whole the industry benefited from it because these ideas went around and an idea that might not have been the pivotal idea at, at one place really you know sparked an insight at another place and overall the, the whole well society in a way benefited from it and we got where we are and if you look at the recent numbers, I mean, Google yesterday had uh, great results, uh, stock prices up. I think in the end, the companies realize what they care about or whether, you know, what the company should care about stock price. If, if it's if, if you take it in this singular dimension, um, it worked out. So I think that's, you know, um, that's the, these three, the, these three uh, pieces of the puzzle. And maybe to, to throw in a tiny one um, at the end is as people we can all admit to our gaps i don't think especially in the data domain it's it's impossible to know everything so it's important that we just yeah also relinquish control 
uh, focus on 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 what we know and and also admit that there's plenty that we don't know. Um, that usually yeah builds trust, makes it easy, um, and makes us a bit more relaxed. Okay, thanks thanks for that, um, Hendrik. Uh, what are your thoughts, Lynn? No, I I completely agree with you, Hendrik, and um, it's something that um, uh, we're sort of navigating internally at the moment. Um, uh, where we're rehanting some of our um, data uh, infrastructure platforms. Uh, I think in terms of building trust, um, you're right. A lot of data is sensitive, and I think it's really about communicating the uh, the value of. Um, of that to the skeptics um, who, who might not want to share their data um, and, and make them realize, well, okay, you're sharing your data, but you also you're getting data. Um, but then on the flip side, um, I think it's really important to ensure those stakeholder groups where there are sensitive data that their data will be secure um, and there's not going to be um, any any data breaches um, uh, in that process. Um, and the other thing that I found to be um, really important is to, um, when when you're developing a product or, or um, solution, make the end users, um, like involve them and make them feel like they're part of the journey and that their needs are being um, listened to and considered for any um, any application. I, I find that that goes a really long way in um, in building trust and um, fostering um, engagement. I agree. Thanks, thanks for that, Lynn. Um, Sherith? Yeah, quickly, uh, touching on Lynn's point, I think uh, what she finished up with was a very strong connection to what we discussed just before um Hendrik's uh, question around trust it's around adoption and utilization uh, people actually using the product and I think uh any sort of uh steps we can take to encourage users to use the data products more and more would definitely foster that trust um just wanted to on a cheeky note uh, mention something um I heard that the project manager had a fantastic uh, track record and when they asked him what's the secret to your success for delivering every project on budget and time uh, he simply said i descoped my way to success so i think what i take away from that is small wins you know achieve something define something very clear that's useful to the end user that they feel connected with like lynn pointed out that they feel um, very strongly connected with through the journey achieve that and do that well do something small do it well and I think that will foster a few quick wins like that can foster long-term trust, in which case uh, your stakeholders may also end up becoming more uh, understanding when things don't go uh, exactly the way you've planned. And the other thing, the adage, uh, the uh, memory tablet that my boss, uh, the CIT at work here, Jose Perez, he keeps uh, reinforcing to the team is progress over perfection. It doesn't have to be a hundred percent well-architected, engineered solution, completely open-ended and flexible. Um, if it does the job, if it keeps, uh, if it eliminates a couple of pain points for your stakeholders straight away, and if it holds steady, uh, if it's stable enough, I suppose that just in time, just enough architecture and engineering, uh, those all may be uh, things to consider when uh, we are on the journey to building trust with our stakeholders and. Like everything else, it's a journey. So not only do you build that trust, it's also a constant journey to maintain that trust over time. That's such a good point, yeah. I doubt it will land on that person's tombstone, but <laughs> it is such a good piece of advice. <laughs> I like what you did I'll, there. <laughs> uh, I will definitely write this down and, you know, I might not get a tattoo on my on my forearm to remind myself, but I find a way to remind myself of that. Such a good point, yeah. <laughs> All right, what are your thoughts on Ramesh? Yeah, but trust is um, very important. Like completely agree with Shara, take small steps and start delivering small uh, data product features. Right, when they see the use and uh, 
when they see that those features are useful, they will start you know engaging, engaging better, and uh, work with us you know in improving the platform. And the other uh, thing is um, what it completely should not again boils onto the ownership of the uh, data team. Where is data team in this all this right? So as in, in the data producers and consumers have to come together data platform should be just an appear and you should facilitate the process of uh, moving the data from one place to now from the producers to the consumers very easily seamlessly and the producers can own the quality and the yes uh, i mean the platform should enable the producers to manage the quality manage the security and of the data and that way you know the Consumers and producers can directly work with each other and and get the best out of the data. All right, great. Now um, that brings us to the end of our podcast for today. Um, but before we go, I would like to say a huge thank you to my guests for today for sharing their thoughts and um, expertise on today's topic. And once again, uh, my guests for today were Henrik from Baron Joey. Um, Sharath from um, Envoke, Lynn from Colliers, as well as Ramesh at um, Big Tin Can. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me for today. <laughs>